welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. October is the best month of the year, as far as we're concerned, and we are here to celebrate Halloween this month on Horror Movie Podcast, and the way we've chosen to do that, actually, the way the listeners have chosen for us to do it, is to bring you in-depth feature reviews and analysis of the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and we're going to do it Horror Movie Podcast style, except maybe not tonight for these two films. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, This is episode 73, so it's our fourth part out of our five-part series. We'll be reviewing Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare from 1991, and Wes Craven's New Nightmare from 1994. And we usually don't reveal spoilers on this podcast, but just giving you fair warning, just consider this a spoiler zone for the whole franchise, basically especially for these sixth and seventh installments of the series. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my lone co-host tonight is... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from uh, just outside Philadelphia, PA. Welcome, sir. Thank you for being here. And Thank um, you. the Wolfman sends his regards to everybody. He is very apologetic. He's sorry he could not make it tonight. He absolutely could not make it. It was like right up to the last minute he was debating. Uh, he was trying you to know, make it. He was, he, was, he was doing everything he could, but it just didn't sound like it was going to work out tonight, unfortunately. Yes, but he said that he did watch, and I believe his exact words were, he did watch these damn movies. <laughs> and he's, and um, so he's going to give us his thoughts when we go over them in the franchise overview in our next episode. So that'll be great. And we'll look forward to that. And before people turn off the podcast, because they're like, no Dr. Walking Dead, no Wolfman Josh. So, because we're chopped liver, Dr. Shock. We're, yeah, that's I know. They're I just know. tired of us by they're, now. They're the two. They're the heavyweights. But we have, happy to report, we have two very special guests. Do you want to do the honors of um, the, our Washington, D.C. contingent here, Dr. Shock? Abs- absolutely. We have with us. Of course, from from Washington, the wild man himself, a Freddy fan, Mr. Willis Wheeler. Welcome, What's sir. What's going on, peeps? I'm back on the show once again. Welcome back. Yeah, two weeks in a row. Yeah. Yep. Thank you, Willis, for being here and bringing your all your Freddiness with you. Yep. Yes, we're happy you're here. And we also have another very special guest. He's not on this show as often as he should be. Um, but I love it when he comes over. We're always flattered and honored. We're joined by the host, the esteemed host of the Resurrection of Zombie 7 horror podcast, the ghost hunter himself, Ron Martin. Welcome. Uh, hello. It is a pleasure to be here. And I see that you have to bring in the expert on horror franchises when you're doing a horror franchise to legitimize what's going on here. <laughs> That's right. That's why we invited Willis. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm just me- I'm just messing. No, listeners, if you listened to when I'm a guest on Zombie 7 over there, Ron Martin busts my chops quite a bit. Just want everybody to know, especially Jessica. So... You know, Little Miss Horror Nerd. To think Constellation, I also bust Willis's chops when he's on the show. Yes, I have heard that, and I laugh heartily when that happens. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned uh, ghost hunting because I'm uh, broadcasting actually from a hotel room about three miles north of Salem, Massachusetts. I'm in the middle of a week-long uh, ghost hunt here on the East Coast. Wow. You know... Yeah. Thank you for telling us that, because honestly, that's one of my favorite things in podcasting when one of the hosts is in some weird 
remote location. So I love hearing that, like where you are right now. That's very exciting. And it was nice of you to take time to talk to us. And um, real quick, uh, while we're on this, I just want to give the listeners a little bit of extra Halloween coverage. Now, um, Willis Wheeler is over on the Terror Troop. And so, Willis, what is Terror Troop doing for Halloween? Tell the listeners so they can know what they can find over there this October. Well, we just doing our usual stuff, doing our B-movies that we pulling out because everybody doing all the mainstream stuff. So we decided not to do the mainstream stuff. We do the wild, wacky, cheesy movies. Okay. <laughs> but that's that's pretty... um commonplace for boss butcher right because he loves wild wacky cheesy movies yep yep sure is they just did their review on the mile high horror fest him and bloody lizzie and they got a chance to meet kane harder and that was up for this week's episode of the terror troop nice okay thank you so we'll link that in the show notes for the listeners here so they can find that and then um, Ron Martin, I know you've been doing some really innovative things this October for Halloween. I, I actually love what you're doing, and I got to be a part of it. So why don't you tell the listeners what you're doing over at the Resurrection of Zombie 7? Uh, well, we're picking up the slack uh, for Terror Troop this October. <laughs> aside from our aside from our regular show, uh, we're putting out a weekly uh, podcast just for build up the Halloween called Zombie 7's Halloween Grab Bag where Miss Horror Nerd myself and a guest for five of the six uh, will look at a Halloween special. So far we've released uh, The Great Pumpkin, uh, A Garfield Halloween, and what was the other one we did? <laughs> and another one in there. Wow. Great pumpkin is that that alone is pretty awesome. Those are some scary oh, I things. Did, uh, Disney's Halloween treat is the other one we've released. So okay, far. cool. As you can tell, listeners, they bring it scary hard over at Zombie <laughs> Seven, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, we also have our regular uh, our regular podcast, which we're so focusing on the franchise of Tremors at the moment. Nice, nice. Which the, then, there's a new fifth one that's out. So is that what inspired you to cover that? The new fifth one. We've been waiting for the fifth one to come out so that we can uh, we could cover it. Yeah, that's awesome. Which our podcast, the way it's set up, we don't cover a lot of a lot of recent movies. So I got gotcha. it's a pleasure to cover one that's only a couple weeks old. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Okay, well, and then for the week of Halloween, a few couple days for Halloween, we will have our uh, Resurrection of Zombie Seven Halloween Spectacular, which should be a a, a very elongated show covering. Um, a bunch of subjects dealing with Halloween, uh, such as War of the Worlds, the the radio show, uh, Harry Houdini and, and the Houdini seances, uh, ancient Samhain rituals, uh, that kind of thing. Yes. Nice. Yeah. And I I'm have, really excited about that show. I think it's going to come out really well. I'm really excited about it, too, actually, because I had the pleasure of being a guest on the War of the Worlds segment and um, that was just fun stuff. So I'm I can't wait to hear the rest of it, actually. So so, yeah, we'll have we'll have that stuff linked as well. So make sure you check that out. And listeners, one last thing. I just want to give a big shout out here to my friend Mark Nato. Don't you guys love that? His horror name is Mark Nato. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, that's nice. brilliant. 
um, he is on um, a great little horror podcast. I shouldn't call it little. It's called Killer Flicks Horror Movie Review Podcast. And uh, I checked it out. Right now, they're actually covering the um, Friday the 13th franchise. They're going through that. And uh, it's good stuff. So make sure you guys give them give them a try if you haven't heard their podcast yet. I will have it linked in the show notes. It's called Killer Flicks. So check them out. You're going to have tons of Halloween coverage. Plus, Dr. Shock is like... He's got his 31 days of Halloween coverage on his blog, and then we're also blogging on our site. So it's just nuts around here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely is. All right. Well, this is weird, I know. But even though we just welcomed Dr. Shock to this episode, he's actually going to sit out for this first review tonight of Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare but he will still be listening to our entire conversation in the background like some major league creeper. (laughs) And don't worry, he'll be joining us again for our subsequent review of New Nightmare. I guess I can't procrastinate any longer. So at this point in episode 73 of Horror Movie Podcast, we're going to move into our feature review of Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare from 1991. As a boy, he was always different. No one understood him. You ready for it, boy? It's time to take your medicine. Thank you, sir. No one could control him. Go inside, honey. But now, it's a new beginning. The beginning of the end for Freddy. Every town has an Elm Street. Screaming while the bus is in motion. It's your mind to go for. I'll get you, my pretty angel. Well, spoiler alert, Freddy's going to (laughs) die. Right. Uh, This was a film that was supposed to end uh, the franchise. And the plot of the film revolves around Freddy Krueger's child as being the only person that can actually end Freddy Krueger's reign of terror. uh, As well as we get a bunch of flashbacks to Mr. Krueger's previous life before he was a burnt up dream demon. And how he got to be a burnt up dream demon and also a lot of stunt casting with uh, Roseanne and Alice Cooper. Yeah, Roseanne Barr, yes. So now just I got a couple quick questions for you, Ron. So let's just establish for the listeners. Are you a Freddy fan? Um, He's not my favorite. OK, but I do enjoy the nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Yes. So I would say I am a Freddy fan. Where does he rank with like uh, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Pinhead, uh, Leatherface? Do you have a hierarchy? Uh, it depends on it depends on where how you're ranking them. I guess if you're ranking them just straight up monster characters, uh, my favorite probably is uh, Jason. I know that's really boring, <laughs> uh, no. but Freddy's probably my second. Right? Oh, second? Okay. Yeah, he's probably my second favorite. Those, those are the two I grew up with. I mean, those are the two big dogs. Let's be honest. Right. And Everybody you're, else is kind of on a lower level. And there's not been 
any um, horror icon more uh, merchandise than Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Would you say he is the most recognizable horror icon as far as, uh, aside from like Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, of course, stuff like that. Aside from the, the classic monsters, would you call him as a modern monster? Would you call him the most recognizable? I would say that probably Jason has him a little bit beat in that category. Hmm. Interesting. But even non-horror fans know the hockey mask. Yeah. But I don't think it's 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 one A. It's one and one A. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. I got they're you. Both, they're both right up there. Yes. Okay. Well, the other question I was going to ask you, Ron. Sorry, I hope you don't feel like this is the Spanish Inquisition because I can't even speak Spanish. But um, no when, one ever expects the Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> when you said when you said that this was intended to be Freddy's dead here, the final nightmare. It was intended to be like the end and they were going to kill Freddy. Okay. So many franchises do this. And you are a man who covers franchises. You've been covering franchises for many years, actually. Ever since you copied off Considering the Sequels podcast. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Sorry, that made me sound like a big jerk right there. Ron is always busting my I don't, chops. I don't, recall, I don't recall that podcast. But yeah, that's right, because nobody freaking listened to it. Thanks, Willis. Thanks for having my back on that podcast. I never knew about it. I know, it was terrible. But um, anyways, <laughs> like... I'm just kidding, but seriously, listeners, Ron has some cred when it comes to covering sequels. If you want to know about some sequels, ask Ron Martin. He knows a lot about the the art of sequeling. So anyway, and I, and I will say that there's many many like B movie uh, franchises that I'm absolutely sure that my podcast is the only time this movie's ever been talked about for an hour. Yeah, like for example. I, I um I would venture if I'm not mistaken, your podcast even covered like all the Puppet Master movies, right? <laughs> we have not yet, but it oh. will be. They will be covered. Okay, good. All right. Well, make sure you let me know. We're when... talking about late in the Amityville franchise, late in the Slumber Party Massacre franchise. <laughs> I am absolutely positive no one's ever talked about those movies for an hour in a row before. <laughs> That's not right. even the. That's right. That's right. So we wanted to establish some credentials here. So you got your cred. Now, um, so tell us then your theory on why franchises, because I, I think I know, but I want to hear what you say. Why franchises always like do, okay, this is going to be it. And then we're going to, this is going to be like totally the end. And then they do it. And then it's not the end. And then more movies come. And then it's awkward because, you know, they... They, you know, wrapped it up in the be- the, the previous film. So tell us why you think this happens. Oh, one word, money. Yep, exactly. It, we're going to kill Freddy Krueger. We know you haven't paid attention to him for the last four or five years because it's not the 80s anymore. And we're moving on to some n- new sort of a horror. But we're going to kill Freddy Krueger. So you're going to come and see it because, you you know, you grew up with Freddy Krueger and now he's finally going to be dead. Oh, this movie made a whole bunch of money because we told you Freddy was going to die. Better make another one. <laughs> That's right. And that 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 very formula that you just described is exactly what happens each time. Okay. So go ahead and commence with the premise. I'm sorry for um derailing us, but that's that's what I do when we review this franchise for some reason, huh, Willis? Yep. Okay, go ahead, Ron. <laughs> well, I mean, how deep do you want me to go into the premise? Um, just kind of give like it let's say a listener 
hasn't seen this before, just kind of tell him generally what it's about, like a paragraph, like TV guide style. Okay, well, a teen called John Doe, because they don't know who he is because he has amnesia, mm-hmm. it finds this shelter with uh, a lady named Maggie Burroughs and a bunch of uh, messed up kids, because that's who Freddie always ends up killing is messed up kids. Uh, somehow find their way back to Springwood, back to Elm Street, back to the 1428 Elm Street house because they're being called uh, secretly by Freddy Krueger there where John Doe believes that he is the child of Freddy Krueger. Uh, secretly, he is not, but I don't know if we're going to uh, spoil all that. Yeah, you can. You were totally in spoilers, whatever you want to say. Well, secretly, he is not. Someone who is with them is a Freddy Krueger's child, and Freddy basically uses uh, his offspring as a way to escape Springwood because Springwood has no longer has children because Freddy has killed them all. So he needs to find a new town to start killing kids on Elm Street. And uh, ironically enough, the shelter that all these kids come from are on is on Elm Street in their town. Because, so as Freddy says, every, yes. every town has an Elm Street. Yeah, exactly. So so the way that the the lore is structured, right, he is kind of within this town, within Elm Street. He kills all those kids, and now he's got to find a way to transition and jump to another town and kill all the kids on their Elm Street, right? Yes, he needs a new town because he's killed every every child in Springwood. Right, and Springwood is in Ohio, in case people didn't know that. I'm not sure. On my way, on my way here uh, over the weekend driving to Massachusetts, I, I drove through Springfield, Ohio, which is the closest thing we have to a Springwood, Ohio. Right, right. That's interesting. Yeah. So my, and I, and I spoke of this when we covered uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, shows, which you can still listen to in the archives of the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast, zombie7.com. But <laughs> I covered this. I think that Springfield, Ohio should just change their name to Springwood and go all in with the uh, Freddy tourism. Yes, totus porcus. Yes. So All what in. is because what what else does Springfield, Ohio, have going for it? Springfield. Well, that's the Simpsons, right? Yeah. <laughs> I believe that's Springfield, Massachusetts. Well, but it's okay. You got me there, but it's Springfield. I thought that's what you were asking me. <laughs> so what else does it is, Spr- but Springfield, Ohio, should just change their name to Springwood and throw up a whole bunch of Freddy stuff and let the tourism come in. Yeah. It would happen, but then their kids would start getting knocked off, and it doesn't seem like a fair trade. <laughs> so, thank no, you, Ron. I, mean, I don't have children, so. <laughs> you, so you don't care. You're like, whatever. But thank you for the premise. That was perfect. Now, Willis Wheeler, here's what I want to know from you. i got a couple questions for you now. Um, how many times would you say you've seen this movie, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare? Well, I went to see it opening day, so I got a chance to see it in 3D when it first came out. I've seen it maybe about 11 or 12 times <laughs> over the years. Okay. Willis, is there any movie that you have not seen on opening day? Uh, several, but not too many. Okay. Nice. And um, do you find that you appreciate this more as you see Because this was my second time seeing it. Because once was enough, I thought, but then we did this. So it was my second time, but do you, does your appreciation grow for it or, or not? The movie is just corny as hell. They knew it was corny as hell when they was making it. 
And they didn't care because they was like, this is the last one. We do what we want. And it shows. Yeah. Yeah. So you. Can I interject for a second? Please, please, please. I I, I think this movie uh, is helped by watching. If you watch all the movies in a row. Yes. By being sandwiched between New Nightmare and part five. I would agree with that. Yeah. I think that immensely helps this film. Yeah. If you watch this sucker on its own. Oh my goodness. Like, like I feel sorry for the person who had never seen any Nightmare on Elm Street installment and started with this one. Because honestly, here's, here's what I was picturing in my mind, you guys. And everybody's expecting me to beat up on these movies. And as Dr. Shock and I confessed before we started recording, I've actually enjoyed myself a lot more than I thought I would as we've gone through this franchise. So I'll give the Freddy fans that. But regarding this film, if you picture a V, okay, a capital V in your head, right? Like, this is the bottom point of the V. Like, this is the lowest point to me, at least. (laughs) I mean, this thing is rough but but here's what's weird and i wonder if you two freddy experts could teach me about this because i honestly can't figure this out even though it's super corny just like willis said um there is something about freddy's uh personality in this the way he is consistently like um to use another no i'm not going to use that i'm just trying to think of a way to explain it but he is so like stick his finger in your wound and twist his finger. I mean, he is so antagonistic and um, almost like, I don't know. There's something about his personality in this film that's different. Do you guys pick up on that? I pick up him just being a butt, just to be a butt in this one for no reason at all, more than anything else. Yeah. So you, you feel like he's kind of jerky on per- on purpose. Like, yep. Like jerkier than usual. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm picking up. What do you say, Ron? Uh, I do feel like he's a little more demented, but I think that might be due to, uh, I mean, Robert England just kills the character, obviously. Uh, in every movie, no matter how bad it is, he's the highlight. Right. But in this movie in particular, like Springwood has been devoid of children for a long time. So when new children come in for him to mess with, he's overly sadistic with them uh, because one, we, as we've learned throughout the franchise and even more so um, in Freddy vs. Jason, he needs the fear. That's what he feeds off of. That's what makes him strong. Yeah. So he has to play with them uh, a little more because he hasn't had that fear uh, from children in a long time. And also, I think that uh, he just has fun killing children or teenagers. So he hasn't got to do it in a while. So he's going to really enjoy this. Wow. I love that. I think you nailed it, actually. Yeah, and the way you said he's a little more sadistic, I think that's true. I mean, I I pick up on that vibe from him. Even though he's very um, jokey and silly, there's still, like, a a real sadistic nature to him. Now, um, this opening scene, like, with the airplane sequence, I just want to confess to people, honestly, like, for one of the first times in the franchise as I've been watching it through... I felt a little bit of fear in my heart because that that the scenario that happens where he basically falls out of the bottom of the plane or whatever, like, like that is a fear, an irrational fear that I always have when I'm flying on a plane. I always think to myself, there are only a few feet 
and a few layers that separate me from falling out of the bottom of this plane. And when that when that happens in this movie, it kind of like takes my breath. I think it's really scary. What do you guys think? Is that do you think the opening works or not? That's why I drove 15 hours to Salem instead of flying to <laughs> because of this movie. Not because of this movie, but it's because uh, I lost I lost my confidence in planes back a long time ago. So, yeah, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. I'm not going to say this movie it somehow subconsciously didn't play a little part in that. Our, our final destination probably included in there as well. But Right. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. Insane. Oh, my goodness. I'm, I'm just to add. Please. To the Freddy Krueger being more sadistic um, stuff. I think also maybe part of that is Robert England maybe thinking this is the last time he gets to play the character. Right. So he's like he's all in, as you said, and he's like swinging for the fence, basically. In the performance. Right. At that point, I'm sure he didn't know he'd be playing at least two more movies. Right. Right. <laughs> okay. I got you. Now, um, how do you guys... Now, we've talked about in the previous reviews, which you may not have heard yet because of our release schedule, but basically we talked about how all of these popular things like pop culture icons and things have been incorporated into this franchise. And the fact that they had... Roseanne Barr in there, I was like, ugh, and I'm like, yep, this is the early 90s, and Roseanne was a big deal in the early 90s, so of course, they pulled her in and incorporated her, there's a little shout out to Twin Peaks in this, so um, that's kind of interesting, but what about the map sequence, the, the map scene, um, when, when he's in the, when they're in the back of the van, there's a scene where the kids are in the back of the van, and, um, well, the one kid is, and he's trying to find the way on the map. Honest to goodness, that scene is one of the funniest scenes to me because anytime I try to use a map, that is exactly what happens, or at least that's what I perceive to happen because the map just grew and grew and grew. And that's always because I can never fold those things back up again. Anybody else have that experience? <laughs> oh, I think everybody has that experience. Willis. <clears throat> My bad. That was one of the funniest parts. On in the movie, and especially what the map said. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yes, that's grim. Okay, and so um, in, in this in this film, as Ron stated, like there's supposed to be a big revelation about how um that the John Doe character is not actually Freddy's son as he suspected. Um, you know that. When that happened, I felt like it was supposed to be like some kind of monumental reveal or something. But for me, it wasn't. I was just like, okay, whatever. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think there is hardly anything in this that actually works. How, how do you well, guys I feel? That, that, I don't think that that reveal worked uh, because they were pushing it so hard. Yeah. And I think any uh, horror fan, especially one who's watched the previous uh, five Nightmare on Elm Street movies, at this point, they're at this point they're smart enough to know, uh, except for Jessica, who who falls for everything. <laughs> um, they're smart enough to know that okay, they're pushing this really hard, so it's probably not going to be. This is not going to be the case. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was blatant. That's for sure. So so yeah that that didn't work super great. But um, one thing I will I will give it credit because I'm I'm trying hard to give it credit for things. But um, like for example, the uh, the cotton swab. It, I don't think it was a Q-tip, right? Brand name, trademark. 
but but the cotton swab with the ear scene and all of the ear related stuff in this was very painful to me. I like I really like cringed a bunch for that. So I, I thought that was well, somewhat effective. Yeah, Carlos, uh, who's he, he is hearing impaired. He's the same. He's the same guy with the map, I believe. Yes, I think so. Uh, um, the map. The map says you're in in the in the interest of being not an R rating. I won't say the last word, but I will say it begins with an F and yeah. usually is a, a four letter word. Right. Which is how he signs for conventions, by the way, which is kind of funny. Oh, really? What does he what is he? So he puts he puts what he just said. The map says you're and that's the thing. That's how he signs his name. Oh. So that was one thing everybody remembers. That's hilarious. <laughs> Um, no, I thought actually I thought Carlos's death in this with the hearing aid was, I believe when we did the Not Right Elm Street franchise, and at the end of every franchise we have a wrap up show where we talk about the top five deaths of the franchise. And this being one of the poorer movies in the franchise, still that death was I believe it was in my top five of the whole of the whole franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was effective. I think I think most of most of the deaths in this fran- in this particular movie are effective. Which keeps it from being, you know, a total loss. Really bad to just like mediocre. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, honestly, the film wouldn't be horrible. Uh, it wouldn't be absolutely horrible to me if two things were in play here. If, if number one, if you could kind of understand the plot. I mean, I think this thing is very convoluted and it's uh, difficult to follow. It's like a lot of times I'm like, what is going on in this movie? It's so weird. And then the other thing is just how cheesy, I mean, Willis really said it well, I think, when he said cheesy, how, how cheesy the humor, the one-liners, the jokiness. Like, um, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, that video game sequence, that's totally like Nintendo, right? I mean, it's supposed to be like a riff on Mario Brothers. Exactly. Yeah. Because that was right at the height of that sucker. I mean, I was playing Mario Brothers every minute, you know, like <laughs> right around this time. And uh, so that that was very Mario Brothers esque, and I'm okay with it. Just like in an earlier film when they had the comic book sequence, I'm okay with that. But man, they they really pushed that pretty far. Didn't he even use a, a, a one of the Nintendo taglines? Now you're playing with power, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He he totally did. So Willis, you've seen this like twelve times. Um, tell us more of your thoughts on it. Well. At the time when I went to see it, I dragged my mama to take me to see it because I was still in school when it came out. So she took (laughs) me to see it and she was like, you got me seeing this dumb. I can't use the words because this is a PG show. So she was like, man, always got me seeing these dumb, dumb movies. This was just dumb. I was like, it was okay. At least the 3D was neat. She was like, yeah, that was halfway interesting. But Roseanne and dumb stuff like that, uh. She said the only time she cringed was the ear part. That was it. Right. I think that's everybody got cringed with the ear part. Yeah, <laughs> right. And you know how yeah, that- bad off this movie was when you got Freddy quoting the Wizard of Oz. In the movie, as the Wicked Witch talk about, I'll get you, my little pretty, and your little soul, too. (laughs) Yeah, that's rough. Very rough. You're scaring me over here, Willis. I know, I know. It's it's (laughs) 
it's we're, dark in this hotel room. Yeah, we're feeling it now. We're feeling it. So will will somebody be so kind uh, to? Because one one thing actually made me laugh out loud on this, and it's the um, the riff on that very popular commercial from this time period, early '90s, though, where uh, this is your brain on drugs. Somebody talk about that and describe it to. I would love to talk about that. Go ahead, please. Because uh, at, at this time, yes, we always had celebrities coming on and showing us uh, frying pans and, what, and eggs and what happens to the eggs when they hit the frying pans. And that was supposed to be our brain on drugs. So we get Johnny Depp coming back to the franchise, mm-hmm. doing a take on this commercial. And everything I've read about the franchise says he was reprising his role as Glenn Lance. Which I'm like, I think he was just being Johnny Depp. Yeah. Because Glenn doing this commercial doesn't make any sense. Johnny Depp doing this commercial makes a lot of sense. Right. Right. But yes, I thought that was a, and then and then Freddie knocks him in the head uh, with the frying pan and does his own little one liner. I I think that worked really well. Actually, you're looking for things that worked uh, in the franchise. I think that that was one thing that worked. Yeah, because movie because I- <laughs> he actually says. This is your brain on drugs, and he said it looks like a frying pan and some eggs to me. Like, like I think that's hilarious. Right. It's like, wow, where was the where was that one liner? Because I mean, that commercial they ran that in the ground. I mean, yeah, I've seen that commercial so many times in my life, and it's like that's actually a legitimately funny response to that. It's like, no, it does. That's not your brain, actually. <laughs> so. Anyway, I love that. And this is the movie Johnny Depp chooses to come back to the franchise with. Come on, Johnny. Yeah, that's kind of a shame, actually. But what about having? Um, I I thought that Yafet Koto his his appearance here added a little bit of weight, even though they didn't give him much to do. He wasn't very significant, but you know, our star, one of our stars from Alien. It was great to see him again, but. You know, oh, well, he I thought he had a little bit. He was the one who introduced the dream world. Where we put on our 3D glasses and we get to see everything. Uh, all these dream demons in 3D. Right. Yes. By the way, I have an actual pair of 3D glasses that was handed out in theaters for Freddy's Dead. And do they look like the ones in the film? They do look like the ones in the film. Nice. I put them on, though. They don't magically uh, make me see things. It takes if I put them on. Uh, and I eat a certain kind of uh, a fungus that kind of makes me see things, but <laughs> <laughs> they haven't done that uh, for a while. So <laughs> a horror movie podcast does not condone the eating of certain kinds of fungus <laughs> <laughs> or fungi, right? Anyways, um, that's hilarious. Okay, what what else you got for us, Willis? Come on, you're being quiet, and I'm just not used to this. Well, you know, I have to make sure my buddies get their entertainment in with the movie that we're discussing. So another thing that I I commit like about this movie, this movie is like a time capsule of the time that the movie was um being made. So you got all these late 80s, early 90s representatives um representations going on with like Roseanne and the power glove joke and uh, the the your brain on drugs type stuff so it's an interesting look at the late 80s early 90s when you watch this movie yeah 
I, I agree. It is interesting because um, it also kind of ushered in, I mean, a 1991 release, it kind of ushered in this really rough decade for horror, <laughs> right? Yeah. It was not a good, not a good omen, so to speak. But, okay. What about you, Ron? At least until 96. <laughs> right, exactly. Let me tell you something that didn't work in this film. Tell it. I think I like this film better than you two do. Here's what didn't work. All these stupid flashbacks to Freddy Krueger being an average dad with a playing with his daughter, having this very well-kept yard, having a wife. All the while, he's secretly killing children. That didn't work. Now, why is that, sir? Because I've, I've known yeah. of real people who do similar things. Well, it's retconning the rest of the of the franchise. Yes. There's, there's been no mention of him having a wife or a child until this movie. Right. That's true. And as Willis so said, there's no point in taking what's that. I'm sorry. As Willis said in, um, you know, the previous episode, too, he was talking about the first episode of the TV show, Freddy's Nightmares. Right, Willis? Yeah. So it's a it's a little bit you, you pointed out last week that it was a little bit different, too, from what they've done. Yeah, that's here. a lot different than this yeah yeah i don't know that i've ever seen that to be honest so it's the first episode acts as a prequel to the franchise yeah we actually have a listener who is asking us to talk more about that episode in depth i'm gonna actually try to track it down and um find it now it's other than the del rey network or whatever it's called is there another place to find that that first one because it seems like that would be more readily available youtube we um I'll tell you this for your listener. Uh, when we were doing the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and it's available uh, in our archives, uh, ResurrectionZombie7Zombie7.com, <laughs> we did an episode on Freddy's Nightmares, and that's one of the episodes that we focused on. There you go. And listener out there, they go in depth, so definitely check that out. You can't find it. I, it's been a while since I've I've seen it, but it was on some shady website. Okay. That probably is the reason why I can't use that computer anymore. I don't know. <laughs> right. Or one of the myriad reasons, right? <laughs> so. uh, we're going to blame it on that. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> All right. But I didn't like this Freddy Krueger as a regular guy. I would prefer I would prefer him in the storyline we had before, where he was just a dude who uh, was uh, worked at a factory and lived in the boiler room and, you know, was terrorized in school, was the, the son of a hundred maniacs. Uh, I'm all down with that. Uh, this regular Joe Freddy Krueger does not work for me, and I, I think it's I think it hurts uh, the rest of the movie. But I will say when he when he kills the wife by bashing her head into the tree multiple times, that's a very upsetting and disturbing scene, especially since the daughter wit- witnesses it. Well, it's a um, small. Uh, price to get rid of that scene in order to get rid of everything else. And you can throw the stuff with Alice Cooper in there too. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like Alice Cooper as a musician. Uh, I don't mind him being in this franchise, but I feel like those were just added because Alice Cooper wanted to be in the movie. Probably. Yeah. Now what they a- seems they seem stuff in. What about the snake demon puppets? I mean, do you like these snake demon things that fly around and, you know, I could have lived with them. I could have lived with them. Uh, I didn't particularly like them. It didn't seem to make much sense because uh, Freddy's in the you know Freddy's in the house. He's getting the, all the the Molotov cocktails 
are being thrown in. He knows he's going to die. He doesn't seem afraid because he seems to know that uh, he's going to be able to kill kids in their dreams for some reason. Right. <laughs> we have to have these um, three very uh, phallic dream demons running around just so that we can use 3D technology. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, I was. It wasn't good. Uh, I, I would have accepted it as a reason for why Freddy uh, can go into dreams and kill people because that's probably something they need to explain in this movie if it was meant to be the last film. Right. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't. It was. It wasn't great. <sighs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. Actually, I think you're right on the money, and it was just about um, facilitating the 3D gimmick. <laughs> Clearly, I will also say in those, but in those uh, scenes where Freddy's a regular person hanging out with his family, even he's not regular because he's killing little kids on the side. But I would think, I would say, I think throughout the whole franchise, but particularly uh, this movie more than any others, they go out of their way to, for you to make, you know, that he's not molesting these children. He's just killing them because, um, you know, you can buy Freddy Krueger's rap CD if he just kills children, but if he's molesting and killing children, that's a little weird. Right. <laughs> if you have his rap CD. So you feel like it would have been um, harmful to the fat boys' sales and their bottom line if if he were billed also as the pedophile rapper. Oh, no, I'm talking about Freddy Krueger's own rap CD. Oh, okay, okay. I got you. There is a rap CD out there where Freddy Krueger's rapping oh, from my the goodness. 80s. I, I do not have that, to be honest. <laughs> that is something you add to your, to your collection, friend. I don't think so. I do my own rap. I do my own rapping, right, Willis? Yep. <laughs> See, I love. Well, there's a the Christmas Bill. idea, Christmas gift idea for Day of the Dead for many of the listeners. <laughs> okay. I, I want it from you, Ron. I want you to sign it. <laughs> okay. But anyway, yeah, all of the Freddy merchandise, the little things that squirt water, uh, the action figures, whatever. You're down to buy it. You know, if he's just killing the kids. Even if he's killing small children, because he does that a few times in this franchise as well. But if he's touching them and killing them, you, you probably not. Right. He's not. He's not as uh, marketable. Yeah, another good point for sure. All right. So, um, I, one other thing I'll mention before we move into our final thoughts and ratings on this: director Rachel Talele. Did I say that right? It's Talalay. Talalay. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I knew it was a really fancy pronunciation. Um, this was her first feature film. It was her directorial debut. And, um, you know, may, maybe you can tell that a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> so, maybe you can tell that a lot. <laughs> that, that's right. You All know right. what her other movie was? Yeah, yeah. She's done um, Tank Girl, right? Yep. And it shows, and it shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, okay. So, final thoughts here on Freddy's Dead. I think it's interesting how they were thinking this is the last film, right? But in the, if you listen carefully through the credits, as the credits scroll and you listen to this song, in the outro song, <laughs> there's a line in there. Do you really think Freddy's dead? Like it's so funny to me because it's like, yeah, they half they half knew they they wondered is he really dead? Probably not, you know. So that's kind of funny to me. Well, but 
What do you well, say? Uh, do we are we gonna are we gonna talk about how he actually dies? Or are we gonna keep that spoiler free? No, go for it. Go ahead, please. By all means, go ahead. Because the way that he actually dies, I, I just, supposedly from the last time, also doesn't doesn't work for me. Okay, how come? What don't you like about it? Where his daughter pulls him out of the dream world, mm-hmm. and Freddy's been pulled out of the dream world. You know, every movie since the first one. Right. This time, uh, Freddy isn't a vulnerable old guy he is a dude he's a vulnerable old guy and that has his supernatural power still which makes no sense and has no consistency with the rest of the films uh, but only so that he can have a knockdown drag out with his daughter whom you know is revealed halfway through the movie is actually his daughter because the moment that you realize that she was adopted you i mean there was no other option really for them to go with and by the way that girl does not know karate her karate moves were terrible but go ahead Oh, the Tracy girl? Yeah. Yeah, it's awful move. That's not his daughter, but that's the other girl that lives. Yeah, the one girl who's kicking the heavy bag so much. That chick, she's she's terrible. She does not know karate. <laughs> Just for the record. Unless she's well, like I've a white, really, white belt. Yeah, I've heard it's really easy to get your black belt in America and it doesn't mean much of anything. Is that true? Um, Not for me, because I'm still just a green belt. <laughs> there you go. Willis, why are you laughing at me? Because <laughs> I want to. Okay. All right, anyway. I, I won't laugh at you, Jay. I'm a no belt. My pants falling down over here. Okay. Well, got nothing. This is par for the course for Ron Martin podcasting. So, <laughs> <laughs> if I had a nickel for every time people made a joke on on our podcasts or on, you know, tons of podcasts I've been on, if I had a nickel for every joke people made about not wearing pants while podcasting, I would be rich. I wouldn't be podcasting anymore, probably. Yeah, I, I, I podcast with Jessica, so <laughs> I don't know that she owns pants. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay, so um, yeah, the, the so the death didn't work. Would did anything else you wanted to say about that? Well, he blows up. They, she blows him up with a pipe bomb, and that's supposed to kill him for good. That's because we see the three demons uh, uh, flying away, and you know, just to get a little more extra something out of your. 3D experience. Yes. And, and I feel like he's been blown up in the real world before and it didn't really help. Right. And it's like, um, that's the way they took care of Jaws. Spoiler alert for Jaws. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> why are we using a bomb? But the other thing is that well, then they, they, they just blew up uh, Jason Voorhees in, in part nine. He's either right after this or right before this movie. Right. <laughs> and, and so why that here's my question. And like, well, not even a question, just kind of a criticism. It's like the pipe bomb is like the finishing move in this film, and, and it's seated. It's so small the way it's seated in there. I mean, it's it's almost like it's, I don't know, it's a terrible incorporation of the pipe bomb for the setup and payoff. Yeah, I was displeased with that. But anyways, anything else on the, that you wanted to say before we go into ratings, Ron? I think that I've said my piece. Okay. And you've done well. You and Willis have brought it tonight. I'm sorry. I just, my heart is not in this one. It just isn't. But anyway, this movie, honestly, even though I'm I'm calling this an avoid, generally speaking, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare is so odd and so bizarre. I mean, I called um, The Dream Child a cinematic oddity if I'm not mistaken, or maybe it was the dream warrior. (laughs) 
I had a Dream Master one. That's what I was. Yeah, the Dream Master I called a cinematic oddity, but man, this is truly, I mean, four, five, and six, they just got increasingly more and more bizarre. But this one, um, it's so unusual and, and unique and weird. I mean, this is one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, just because of the the various tones to it, it's got so many different tones and and like it, the, the incorporation of the the pop culture and the way they basically um, whizzed on <laughs> this the the lore of this movie. I mean, so many things just changed and were inconsistent. It's kind of a hot mess to use the vernacular of <laughs> of our day. Um, and it's really bizarre. So, I mean, for me, this is a, uh, man, it's like a, <laughs> it's so weird. I got to give it a, a 3.5, actually. I will call it an avoid, but um, secretly I'm telling the brave souls out there that, I mean, you could watch it once just to see, like, what a train wreck this is because you kind of can't look away. Anyway, that's my rating. 3.5, avoid. What do you say, Willis? Well, to me, this movie is one of the worst out of the series, but it's not as bad as Alien 3. So all I got to say is I wish they would bring out a 3D version of this movie instead of you had to watch them cheapy glass, paper glass ones that you got to watch the 3D if you had the old set. But my ratings, I get it's about a six. Is that a rental? Well, like I said, you most likely will have the set. So it's a, you're going to buy it anyway because it's going to be in the set with the rest of them because oh. the sets are so cheap now. All right. that's see. Do you see how Willis does that, Ron Martin? He, he like very sneakily you know, tries to put a buy on it just by saying, well, you're going to get it by default. So... I'm just saying. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like that uh, reasoning. Yeah, because it makes too much sense. Well, I know you end up. I mean, you end up buying it by like. Um, I mean, you can't help but buy it if you buy other films. But if this were an individual film on its own, does it merit a purchase? Mm, you know, Willis. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying. I, I very seldom see this movie by itself. So that tells you something right there. <laughs> okay. Well, as your enough. common sense is befuddling me. I know. He he really makes some good arguments sometimes. But okay. So Willis says six and buy it because you basically have to. There is no choice in the matter. Okay. Ron Martin, what do you say? All right. Well, just for the record, I completely agree with Willis. You're not going to find this movie by itself anymore. It's going to be in a set or it's going to be in like one of those four movie sets. You know what I'm saying? Right. At Walmart. But for the purposes of, of this podcast, I'm going to act like for some reason uh, they put this movie out by itself again. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, if you're going to watch four Nightmare on Elm Street movies, then I would say, okay, pick this one up as the fourth. But that's about what it is. I mean, it's like it's the fourth best, uh, you know, Freddy movie. This the the the, <laughs> the scare the scariness of Freddy's gone at this point. It's basically you know how creative are the kills going to be, and you know how funny is Freddy Krueger going to be at this point? He's a he's a one line marketing machine. 
Right. Um, by itself, I would say don't buy it. Um, as part of the group, it's it's in the middle. It's right in the middle. It's it's better than the two movies on either side of it. It's better than the second one. It's it's uh like Jay mentioned, it's an oddity. It's kind of like everybody looks at the train crash, right? <laughs> right. This movie went fifteen uh, different directions with its retconning and changing everything around just to suit <laughs> this movie and to make room for special guest stars. I right. think somewhere in here, there's a good movie. I don't think we need the orphan little girl who secretly was Freddy Krueger's daughter this whole time, whom we never knew anything about in the first five movies. Right. I mean, I thought I liked it more than Willis, but I think I'm a little harder on movies, too. I'd give this like a five out of ten. Five. Okay. Is it a rental then for you? I guess that would be a rental. Uh, I, I, do people still rent movies? <laughs> Yeah. 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 Here's here's my modern day equivalent. If it's on Netflix, go ahead and watch it. So you say stream it. Stream it. There you go. Okay. I got you. All right. So if you it. can't find it on Netflix and you don't have it on uh, DVD and it's like three ninety nine on Amazon Stream, uh, just wait for it to hit Netflix. <laughs> so that that tells us a lot. I mean, that's pretty indicative there. Well, if you can see it. Free, are you are you get it as a part of a package with other movies? Then yes, go for it. <laughs> yeah, see, a Nightmare on Elm Street. enough for you? Yeah, that was great. And a Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge is presently streaming on Netflix in America, but Freddy's Dead is not streaming right now. So there you have it. <laughs> okay, so that wraps up our review of Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, which it is not. <laughs> Okay, next movie, and it's something unusual. A horror movie within a horror movie. It's called Wes Craven's New Nightmare, and it begins where the Nightmare on Elm Street series left off. You may recall, or maybe you don't, that in the sixth installment of the popular series, Freddy Krueger, the monster with the knives for fingers, was finally killed for once and all. Unfortunately, it now appears that the series generated an evil force which has been liberated by the screenplay for a sequel and is now haunting the lives of the people who made the films. Many of the stars and filmmakers play themselves, including actress Heather Langenkamp, who played a teenager in the original 1984 movie. Now her life and child are being threatened by ominous omens. Maybe the only way to stop the nightmares is to make another film and exercise them forever. Like Bob Shea, the head of New Line Cinema, plays himself here, trying to sell the idea to the actress. And veteran thriller maker Wes Craven, who directed that original film, thinks he knows how the supernatural is linked to the cinematic. Wes Craven's new nightmare is the first horror movie that is actually about the frequently asked question, don't the people who make these films ever ask themselves about the effect the films have? It's very intriguing the way the film dances back and forth across the line between fantasy and reality. On the one hand, it's in the nightmare on Elm Street tradition with frightening dream sequences using scary special effects. And on the other hand, it's a look behind the scenes of Hollywood. It's smart, it's scary, and it's curiously thought-provoking. It didn't provoke a single thought in my oh, head. Oh, come, come, no, come. No, 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 no. Roger, they put in these people who you and I know, and so it's kind of can't be fun to see them uh, in their real-life uh, roles on the screen. But the, at the core level, this is a mad slasher movie with Freddy, who I have never enjoyed as a villain, and I don't enjoy him here. I, I, it's just the same old bloodletting with new it's actors. It's too bad. 
Add on. that the movie didn't provoke a couple of more thoughts in your Go head. Ahead. For example, the use of that little child in some of the sequences, such as when he's up on top of that tower, it's very scary and I think very effective. The whole way that the idea, it's kind of a dangerous idea that people who are actors in these movies yes. might have their own lives affected by the nightmares that so they are creating but for it's, others. But it's, so, but it's, it's done, never been done before. But Roger, no, what I'm saying is it's so obvious and it isn't really dealt with what it's really, I don't feel that they're really in jeopardy. It's just an excuse to have the same old bloodletting. At this point in episode 73 of Horror Movie Podcast, we're going to move into our feature review of Wes Craven's New Nightmare. From 1994. I'm doing a film about my nightmares as I'm dreaming them. In order for the movie to continue, it, it was dependent on me having more nightmares. Well, fortunately, I did. I'm a little frightened by what Wes may have tapped into. I frankly felt that it was over when we did the last, the final nightmare. In a town where movies go over schedule and directors go over budget, Something far more evil is out of control. All right, and we are still joined right here by the wild man Willis Wheeler of Terror Troop, also of Ron Martin of the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast, and my good friend, Dr. Shock, Dave Becker. So, okay, guys, so here's the thing. If you don't mind, I'd love to do the honors on this because I'm going to make some waves right now on the podcast big waves in this community even um guess what everybody i i play my cards close to the vest on some things i don't like if i know that a review is coming up for a movie and i and i have um the the opportunity to be shocking um then i will be tight-lipped about my feelings on it well i want to tell you right now wes craven's new nightmare i actually really like this movie Quite a bit, I have to say. Yes. Yeah. And and in fact, in some ways, I kind of love it even. This was released in 1994, the year that Ron Martin and I graduated from high school. Right, Ron? True story. Nobody. Me too. And Willis, Willis, you're the same exact age as we are. I graduated in 94. (sighs) Wow. Yeah, but you're like a lot older, right? I'll be 40 next year. <laughs> I'm, I'm just messing. I'll be 40 next year. Me too. Oh, my goodness. There's a bunch of 39-year-olds <laughs> on here, except for Dr. Shock, who's 60. No, I, I graduated in 1987. That's right, 87. Anyways, I know everybody cares I about I was still a virgin this. in 1987, just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's just be perfectly clear here before you know people start writing in comments about this just want to make clear that this film actually precedes scream by two years okay so it comes out two years before that we have people who really like to point that out so i want to make sure i mention it we'll talk about that more in a second but new nightmare is the seventh installment of the nightmare on elm street franchise but due to its self-referential and meta nature Um, To me, it changes course somewhat and shifts from being like a pseudo-sequel of sorts into a pseudo-reimagining of of this series. It's kind of weird because in some ways the first film gets remade to some extent uh, toward the end of this film. No, it's not a perfect match, but um, this 
this is a super interesting film to me. Now, um, when we were covering the Scream franchise, I made a comment. I asked Kyle Bishop, I said, how come Scream was the first movie to do what it did? I forget how I asked it, but I had a lot of people jump on me about that because, you know, they mentioned movies like this. And um, we tried to clarify a little bit because, like, I think Scream was a, a, a great analysis of, like, the horror genre itself, like a celebration of the genre. Whereas this movie is kind of like a, a proto a proto scream, like a, a preparation leading up to scream. But I, I do love, and now that it's time to talk about this film, I want to give credit where credit's due. I love what is done here. I think it's actually pretty brilliant because for the listeners who don't know, we've got um, the gal who plays Nancy, Heather Langenkamp, right? She, it, it's kind of like modern day. It's, um, what is it guys? 10 years after the release of, um, a Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, and we are in the world of the actors who inhabited, you know, this franchise, including Wes Craven. I mean, we have a lot of cameo appearances where people are actually playing themselves. And in the universe of this movie, <laughs> it's very interesting because, um, well, there, there's more to it, but I want to kind of break it up. Let's break it up in little parts. First of all, I just want to go around to you guys and not ramble so much. Um, do you guys like the new nightmare? How do you feel about this movie? Let's start with Dr. Shock. You know what? I don't, I like it. There were, there were definitely things about it that I enjoyed. I can't say that it, it, I don't know that I liked it as much as you did. Um, but even watching it again, I had fun. I did have fun watching it. So, um, yeah, it was, I guess we'll get into it, and we'll get into like uh, into the more specifics. But um, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Not again, not as much as you, but I didn't. I did have fun watching. It. Well, I'll say another controversial thing right here because I, I feel like I didn't make enough waves because I want to make waves right now. Um, I think this is this may very well be. I I need to um, I I need to hold it up and judge it against the the remake and everything, but. But uh, at least this time through, I think this is the scariest incarnation of Freddy for me. I, I love how he's dark and hardcore. And and I think that this movie is actually kind of scary. I mean, we talked in previous episodes about how um, Freddy Krueger is kind of like this funhouse comic book type character. Well, in this film, he's more like a monster. Mm-hmm. And, and even though I don't love his burn makeup of late where it has the big spots in it, um, and this one is more mask-like, um, mm-hmm. he looks more like a monster to me. I, I, I agree with you that he's, he's dark in this one, but I don't know that I agree that in the first few films he was, he was um, uh, you know, I think later in the series is when he got a little more, you know, with the one-liners and the, yeah, uh, a little more into the, and yeah, a little, a little more, you know, uh, with with the humor. But I think in the first few films he was dark as well. But I'll agree, this is a, this is this is a very uh, a dark portrayal of Freddy Krueger. Okay, Willis Wheeler, how do you feel about New Nightmare? Well, I went to see this day one too when it came out at the movie theater, and I was like, I hope this is better than the last one. And they hyped it up as it not to be the Freddy Krueger that we knew, but something more evil and more sinister. 
And the movie played it up. And this was meta before meta. So I feel like this is a very important movie. More important than Scream. Because this was the test waters for Scream. And they pulled it off pretty well. And we didn't have annoying characters like Randy. Oh, man, that's heresy. If Josh were here, he'd be flipping out right now. (laughs) Okay. So you're disregarding things like, uh, I mean, I'll just say it for the listeners. You're disregarding things like um, popcorn and, what was I going to say, Return of the Living Dead, like things like that. No, I'm not disregarding those because those movies are classics in their own way. Okay. But what about like what you were saying about, you know, being self-referential and, and so forth? Well, I don't, I, I own all the screens, but I'm not a super fan of them after part one. Because part two and three are kind of, they okay, but mm, I kind of like part four. Because of certain lines that I can't repeat on here. But it involves a <laughs> cop and Bruce Willis. That's all I got to say. Okay. That's funny. All right. So so you do like this film then, Willis? I mean, is this one of... Do you... I can, I can, wa- I can sit there and say I can watch one, three in this and be happy. Nice. Okay. I'll take that. I'm happy to hear it. What about you, Ron Martin? How do you feel about New Nightmare? I, I don't feel like it makes me happy as it does Willis. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been sensing disrespect or, or or a lack of love from you, and I don't know why you don't love this. Why don't you love this? Like, I love well, it. Let me say a few things real quick. Okay. <laughs> in this month's issue of Remorgue Magazine, uh, in a quick uh, eulogy for Wes Craven, they actually called this the best Wes Craven film. Nice. Um, which is a good thing I don't subscribe, because I probably would have just canceled my subscription. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think I would go anywhere near that far. Um, I don't think that the new Freddy Krueger in this is any scarier than the Freddy that we got in the first film. I don't think putting a, a you know, a um, coat on somebody, a trench coat, makes them that much more frightening. And I don't see how he's not <laughs> cartoonish. Was did you not see the the scene where they were trying to cross the street? Yeah, I mean, but that skip on your DVD. What no, no, no. I mean, I. Or even more, or even more than that, the whole um, arm thing, late in the film. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I got, I get all that. I, I do. But I mean, you, you've got him wearing like a, a Superman type outfit in what was that five right. <laughs> in the Dream Child? I'm like, hey, hey, I didn't say this was worse than five. Okay, okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. But um, uh, I think, and as far as. Uh, I'm going to have to defend this, you know, because Scream is my favorite horror movie franchise. Um, So, yes, this maybe this was a little meta before um, Scream came out. But basically, Scream saved horror in the mid 90s. This killed slasher horror in the early 90s. So without this movie killing everything, we wouldn't have to have Scream save us. (laughs) I still don't know that this film is what killed it. Well, I'm being I'm over exaggerating, but oh, okay, okay. <laughs> this obviously didn't make a dent in what was a at the time a black hole of horror. Like no one cared. Well, do you guys remember, generally speaking, how the horror community felt about this movie when it came out? I mean, I was this is like 
you know, I was starting college at this time. And so I was a little distracted. I was dating a crazy girl at this time. And, <laughs> and I didn't actually, I didn't actually see this in the theater, Willis. I ended up, it was like a, a rental after it came the out. Hidden Life of Jay of the Dead that's coming out little by little. Yeah, well, I mean. On various podcasts throughout the years. There are always crazy girls associated with my stories. So, but anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> one I will say, the, mm-hmm. I think the concept is very interesting, what they've done here. And I think that um, you can make a really good, powerful movie uh, with this concept. But the base ground of your concept has to be a good movie. And then you build upon that. And I don't think they got the first part right. Okay, well, let's break it down in its simplest terms, though. I mean, we've got... Because what I loved about it was the fact that Wes Craven himself and in the film talks about um, this evil being, okay? Or, Or this source of evil, like it's a demonic force, right? And he said you... You can only capture it, um, you know, sometimes like a, a storyteller can capture it, like in, in the course of a story. And he said that's what happened with um, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and so forth. So everybody's seen this film. They know what I'm talking about. Well, then this demonic force still existed even when Freddy was dead and they stopped making those movies. But I guess it liked inhabiting that character. And so it has chosen Freddy Krueger kind of as its uh, portal or whatever into the real world in this, you know, and I'm borrowing from IMDb a little bit, but I, I think that's a good way to describe it. Now, what I think's interesting about this, and, and I hope everybody's with me on this, at least you understand what I'm trying to say. When people out there who are against the horror community or against horror films, when they say things like, um, you know, horror films are evil or... Or blah, 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 or they, you know, they cause people to be baby killers or whatever people say about horror fans, right? You've heard it all. Well, basically, what I think is interesting about this movie is it kind of captures um, a little bit of what people talk about. Because I will say, I will confess right here, and um, shout out again to Mark Nato, because of his, I know he's a religious man who watches horror movies too, just like I am. I do think that there is a, a degree of um, evil associated with some horror films. Now, I'm not saying that, um, you know, my horror DVDs or anything, I'm not saying that those are possessed. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that um, just speaking in the most general terms of good versus evil, you know, you have these artistic works that are collections or of these (laughs) assorted evil acts and monstrous beings doing monstrous things to victims right and so i think it's interesting that this film kind of um captures that phenomenon in a really literal way true and also you know what this movie also is a big social commentary on when how we water down books that's been out for several hundreds of years, especially the old um grim horror tales that we used to read, read kids like Hansel and Gretel and um Cinderella and Snow White 
because they get Disney-fied compared to what the original stories was. And this was also a commentary on that as well. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's pretty cool, Willis. I didn't actually think of that. Because when you look at this movie, this movie is basically Hansel and Gretel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, they do. They riff on that quite a bit. It's one of the kind of the subplots in it. Yep. Yes. Dr. Shuck, what do you got for us? Um, I like I liked the setup. I like the idea of what they were trying to do with this. I was like, you know, remember when I first saw this, I was really excited to see where it was going to go. I think ultimately um, it, it it started to branch off into some interesting areas that never did get explored. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that other people were experiencing these same dreams. Uh, they set that up at the beginning and then they really didn't go anywhere with it. You know, they, they had the, the, um, the, the scene with, with uh, who was it? Uh, Robert Shea, the producer. Where you know he sort of he, he didn't answer the phone, and it was it was it was hinting that he was experiencing the nightmares as well, um, and that maybe some other people associated, maybe Wes Craven was as well. They didn't really take that very far. They didn't go anywhere with that, and I would have liked to have seen them maybe take that in in, in a few different. You know, I would have liked to see them explore that a little bit more. Um, also, there's even a little thing like. Um, when uh, when the husband uh, was off, and he said that the two the two guys from the from the opening scene never showed up for work. <laughs> yeah, he goes, they never showed up for day. Well, that just died. That just went nowhere. We never found out what that was about. You know, I almost got the feeling like was that an edited scene with well, something cut out? Weren't those the special effects guys that they announced later on the news report that they were killed? Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Them. Yes, you're right. You're right. They did. I had forgotten about that. Okay, you're right. Um, but. But still, I, there was that. There was that whole the whole aspect that other people were experiencing the dreams. I thought it would have been cool to to bring that into it. I get you. Okay. Yeah, yeah, like a little more development then on on some of those. Well, they subplots. introduced it. They 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 introduced it. They set it up at the beginning, and you thought, okay, well, I mean, you know, in the very last scene, you get an idea, okay, that Wes Craven was, um, you you know, based on what happens in that last <laughs> scene. But just not 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 much more with. I mean, and I'd love I'd love seeing John Saxon back. Yeah, you know, too. and I thought if they even got him involved in it a little bit, that would have been pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about you, Ron Martin? What What are your thoughts on this movie? Um, well, I understand what you're saying about the evil um, of horror movies and all that being uh, represented here, but I think there's a huge plot hole in the fact that, uh, according to the story, you know, as long as Wes Craven was or somebody was writing the films for Freddy Krueger to be a part of. Um, he stayed within the realms of the page, the written page. Mm-hmm. So now he's, now that the franchise is over, he's coming off the page and, and, and affecting people in real life. My answer to that is just write more freaking movies. If you can capture him in a movie and, or else he's going to kill everybody in your, all your friends, just write another freaking movie. Okay. I got an answer for that because Okay, he was. He was writing this script. And then in the end, we learn that it wasn't really the script. It was her life, right? So, which is what he was saying. So, yes, I mean, at first blush, you're thinking, okay, but he's writing another movie right now. That's what this is. So, what's the problem? Well, he's writing her life. I don't know that that's, I don't know that's really super clear in the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's something that one has to think about. And I'm not saying you didn't think about it, but it's not evident. Well, by the end of the movie, uh, I was 
taken completely out of the movie by that point. Every time I've watched it, so it could be I paid half attention. And and as and as dark as Freddie was, he seemed a little easy to defeat. Are you calling Freddie a sissy? No, I'm not calling. No, I'm, I'm not calling Freddie. Well, well, he lost to a girl and a little kid. He lost, as I was going to say, he <laughs> lost to a woman and a kid. A woman and a kid were able to, to take him down in the dream world or in his realm. I know some tough women out there. I'm not even pandering right now either. But but I mean seriously, I mean this was Freddy's realm. This was the dream world where he was always invincible before. I mean, no matter what you did to him, you, you couldn't hurt him there. But um, but he's crossing over into the real world though. But that wasn't the real world where they were. You know what I'm saying? Are you talking about the ending sequence, the final yes. battle? Yes. Okay. Right, right. Right. Because they're asleep. They yeah. go to this underworld. They, that, right, that, that was still the dream world, and they were hurting him. I mean, they were they were causing him a lot of pain. Um, and you're right; it was it was a it was a, a woman and a young kid um, who were who were taking him out. So it, it's as as menacing as he was throughout the movie, and as dark as he was throughout the movie, it just sort of fell flat at the end. Hmm. Well, I, I would argue, though, that that happens in every Freddy film. That we've Not seen really. The far, first because... one, the first one, he wasn't defeated until he did sort of come out into the into the real world. But what I'm saying is, like, every time they defeat Freddy, it's like, OK, he's invincible. He's invincible. He's invincible. He can stab himself, cut off his fingers and he can do anything to himself. But then this one thing that we've cooked up to beat Freddy, because we're at our one hour and 29 minute runtime. Now it's over. Mm-hmm. The, the movie's over, you know, and and I think I think that's kind of a fault with this whole franchise. The way he just like ends pretty quickly, he's defeated at the end. So I I do agree with you in a way because I think that's just a problematic aspect of his character. Mm. Okay, I mean, but it just seems like this time, like they'd kick him, or she'd 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 hit him and he'd fall down, you know, <laughs> or. I mean, I remember the one in the one film that they, they, he gets shot right through. I mean, you see right through him. He just sits there. He's laughing at him, you know, because right. he's not hurt. It's, it's not going to hurt him because he's in the dream world. Um, in this one, they they put they put the hurt on him a few times just by like running up and kicking him or uh, like stabbing you know, him in the back, stabbing him in the leg or, or, or so, you know, that's another thing. He got stabbed in the leg. So he starts limping. He was limping at the end there, you know, you know, going after uh, going after this this kid. I mean, you, that was something that that was unpre- that was like that was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. This is now the most powerful Freddy we're led to believe. Well, he seems more powerful to me. He certainly did through most of the movie. Yeah, he seemed more powerful until that little kid stabs him in the leg. Now he's limping. <laughs> I want to blow everybody's mind. Okay. You got to remember, this is not Freddy Krueger. This is a demon impersonating Freddy Krueger. So he's not really Freddy Krueger that we know from the Nightmare Elm Street movies. This is a demon interpreting what Freddy Krueger is in his mind. Yes, but it is, but it is a demon. It is a demon who can appear in the clouds and lift a child on a highway, but right. yet, but yet can't can't, but yet limps when he gets stabbed in the leg. And I mean, the other part of that, Willis, because yes, we we know that part that much. But the thing is, Wes Craven says in his like monologue where he's talking to, well, I guess it's not exactly a monologue, but anyway, he's talking to Nancy, and and he's he says that he suggests. He's 
yeah, Heather, Heather, as it were. Right. Yeah, he's talking to Heather, and he suggests that um, that this evil was captured for a time through this character, Freddy Krueger. So the Freddy Krueger we know is still, I would argue, um, inhabited by this demon to some extent. Well, you you have to remember the actual quote of the movie. He says that this demon has been around since the beginning of time, and he just happens to like this particular story at this point in time. So he takes over this character as Freddy Krueger, but he's not really Freddy Krueger. He's a demon. So Right, but I would argue that that's the case all along, according to Wes Craven's um, little story he tells in this film. That in each film, that was the case, what you just described. Well, no, that's not necessarily true because they really don't really consider this a Nightmare Elm Street movie. That's why it's called The New Nightmare. This is actually not really a Nightmare Elm Street movie. You could, Pretty much seems like one to me. Yeah, I mean, and plus it, it kind of remakes in some ways. It, it, re, it goes through the steps of the first film. And so... Well, this film can exist without the other Nightmare films. Exactly, that's true. Especially the first one. Yeah. But, but, but to build on something that Dr. Shock uh, was talking about, a little bit earlier, I would have been more interested to see um, Robert England as Robert England a lot more in this film. Yes. Between him and this demon character, because he kind of just disappears. I don't know, maybe when we did this movie on our podcast, we were um, speculating whether or not he had been killed by the demon, because maybe the demon can't appear with him at the same time because they share the same you know, body, face, whatever. Mm-hmm. Wait, That's something well, I'd like to explore more. Well, what they was trying to insinuate in the movie was that maybe Robert England was actually Freddy Krueger, so that's why he disappeared in the middle of the movie. That was this one of the red herrings that they was trying to suggest in the movie. They failed. Yeah, because they had that. They even had that kind of cool scene where you see him painting. You know, it's like he's being right. he's being haunted by by these same. These same dreams by the same thing that that um, that Heather's going through, um, and they had that setup. But I think that isn't that his last appearance in the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he's, he's gone. gone. She calls his phone. I think yes. She was even supposed to meet him the next day. She was supposed to meet him the next morning. I think. Correct. And I, what I think happened because of the what he suggests on his answering machine. He said it, he was going to be out of town for a long time. You can leave a message, but it's going to be a while. I almost think that he just got out of Dodge. Like one theory I have is that he's like, uh, this is getting weird and I'm getting out of here. And I think that he just got away from all of it. All right. That, so he embraced it the day before by making a painting of it and then decided I'm going to leave town now. Well, I think what it was that he was he was kind of venting it and letting it out like he had these impressions or these mm-hmm. memories from his dreams or whatever and then when he got it all out on the the canvas and saw what it was it's like uh-oh that's Freddy Krueger I'm out of here I mm-hmm. think that's how it worked all right it's just a shame because I think that I think that's another uh missed opportunity oh I I would agree I, I mean I actually really enjoyed him I, I enjoyed seeing the 
interaction between these supposedly real characters, you know, yes. but yes. between themselves. And I will say this too. I mean, we we kind of dissed on Heather Langenkamp in the beginning, like I, um, a little bit, like in the first film, because she's not a super tremendous actress. And I think, no. I think maybe Josh and I had said that, you know, she doesn't even look like she should be in a movie, but I'm telling you, she's like 29 or 30 years old here. And I was, um, you know, watching this again, I was enamored by her. Like, like she, she, she really she, reached her. Um, she did. I think, I think she was, she was very good in this movie. Yeah. You know? like, I, I think she, I think she was the, it was good to see her, her doing that. Cause I wasn't too, you know, I, I didn't think she was the greatest in, in the, in the, in her previous roles, uh, in the series. But in this one, I was impressed with her. Yeah, I mean, I still don't think she's the greatest actress ever, but no, I do no, think she was. Not. Um, of course not, but but definitely strong, stronger in this movie, I think, than even she had been before. Yes, Ron. Oh, I disagree. I disagree with that completely. I think she plays herself worse than she plays Nancy. Wow, that's really saying something. <laughs> and I was especially <laughs> after the third one. <laughs> I wasn't really impressed with her as Nancy either. And I would say this: I know Heather Langenkamp is Wes Craven's girl. That's who he cast uh, in the first movie, and she's back in the third movie, the other one that he wrote. Uh, but for my money, um, she's not even the I, – I don't think she's the main protagonist in, in the franchise. For me, that's Alice. Yeah, I mean I, I could see that. A stronger yeah. actress. I could see your argument, but um, how many movies was Alice in? Two. She was, she was in two, but she survived them both. Before this movie, Heather Langham was in two and did not survive them both. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just so unimpressed with her in the other two movies <laughs> that I just thought that, I don't know, there was something about her in this one that I, I thought it was definitely a step up. But also in this movie, um, adorable. I mean, for real, I was just like, wow, mm -hmm. this is yeah. this is that girl from the first movie. <laughs> like, she's yeah. really, she's all grown up now. <laughs> so anyway, um, now you've, you've, um, we're going to be talking about this a little bit later, too, um, and Ron, but you've met Heather Langenkamp, right? Actually, she's the one that I did not get to meet. Okay. Sorry about because that. Because she was the last person I had to get on my autograph uh, from, and right when I stepped in her line, uh, they, they, cut the, they cut the line off. She's the only one. I got you. Okay. I have met Lisa Wilcox. She agrees with me that Alice is the protagonist of the series. Oh, well, and, and she would. <laughs> Speaking of uh, interesting characters, I tell you, it was amazing to see Gage in this movie from Pet Cemetery, the little boy from Pet Cemetery. Uh, uh, Miko Hughes, is that how he pronounces yep. it? I think so. And, yes, uh, and I've, met, I've met Miko uh, several times, but. His best work is in Pet Cemetery, obviously. Oh yeah, and now see what's interesting. And then kindergarten Cop after that. <laughs> what's interesting about him to, to me in this is, uh, in Pet Cemetery, you have a scene that has to do with disturbing the dead, you know, in a casket, and then this has a scene like that, and then you have in Pet Cemetery a scene where Gage um, has an encounter with traffic, shall we say? And in this movie, the same character has an encounter out in traffic. I thought that was pretty interesting, all those parallels there. Hmm. But I think okay. he almost gets hit by a car in one of the Terminator movies, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think you're right. And then this came out like a year after Jurassic Park. So the fact that he has that dinosaur for his, you know, his little protector, Rex, that mm-hmm. that kind of made sense. And that was very Nightmare on Elm Street-like to incorporate the big thing in there. But the, the reason I love this movie so much, I think what happened here is Wes Craven saw that they had butchered his his property, his baby, his idea. I mean, after Freddy's dead, he's like, wow, this thing has gone way south, way off the rails. And I think that New Nightmare puts it back on track again. It restores the mystery of Freddy, and I think it makes him scary. That's what I love about this. Let let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, If Shocker, movie Shocker, (laughs) which is supposed to be Craven's new franchise had been more successful than it was does this movie get made Um, that was originally supposed to be at least three films well obviously we're speculating of course but i i do think that he would have returned to this because i don't think wes craven would have wanted to see um this end on freddy's dead because you you gotta i mean think about that it's like it's like what they do to my what they do to my my art. <laughs> they <laughs> destroyed it. I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I don't know Wes. Obviously, I've never met the guy, but uh, I never will. But um, I just think if he had another, if, if if the guy from Shocker, I can't remember his name right now, had been more prominent, and then actually we got the three films, and he'd been more mainstream. I don't know that he comes back to this franchise because. Yeah. Yeah, he lost a buttload of money signing away the rights to Freddy Krueger to New Line Cinema, and uh, Shocker was his attempt to do that again. All right. You talking about right. Horace Pinker, Mitch Pelagi? Yes. That's how you say yes. it. <laughs> I got you. That's, and that's a good point. I mean, because he never did return prior to the. I mean, well, I guess in the third film, what was he? He was a. Uh, he wrote. He, he wrote a, the third. He wrote the third film. Yeah. Hmm. But. And, yeah, you're right. As much I mean, as I as much as I don't care for this film, I actually do really like the interaction between um, Heather and John Saxon, and just the the juxtaposition of them as friends in real life, and then him coming off as a father to her, like in the first movie. Right. I thought that did work. But. Yeah, it's neat. But the other thing I thought about is okay. Um, Heather, the actress in real life, is scared. She's having a problem. She calls her friend John Saxon. He's an actor, too. That's never going to happen. She would have called, like, a family member or somebody that we, the audience, don't know. <laughs> you know, she probably would have had friends and acquaintances. She wouldn't have tried to call another actor to help her because they would have not been available. But I'm just nitpicking a little bit. Well, well, perhaps. Uh-huh. Um, I did in their... In their- Two movies they did together, the first one and the third one, as as father and daughter, and she sees him as like a father type figure. Mm, maybe, right. maybe I could see it. Don't put me in a position where I have to defend this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that was my evil plan all along because I want to get everybody singing this movie's praises. Because here's the thing, I don't understand. I mean, people are kind of hard on this movie, and and I think that it might be. Now, tell me if I'm wrong. I'm sure our our community will, but. Like, is it the fact that they're kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit at like, cause it seems like the horror community, generally speaking, doesn't love self-referential things. Um, like, cause we talked about with Scream and with, um, 
Cabin in the Woods, they don't like to examine the genre within the movie itself. Is, is that what it is? Why are people no. bugged by this film? I disagree. I think a lot of people love Scream. Yeah, Cabin. Scream is, is well, no, no. Pop, yeah, they love Scream, but I'm just saying like they like Cabin in the Woods didn't get over super well. And, and and some people are bugged by Scream. I'm not saying everybody, but I mean, uh-huh. it just seems like the horror community is a little is bit resistant. Last, is his, the person you're talking about is his last name Shetty. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not just referring to him. I I bet he would feel that way if I were to guess. But there are other people too. I mean, I'm just talking in general. I think I think that the horror community seems resistant to I I don't know looking under the hood, so to speak. Within well, I the, the film, I can say I one thing about this movie: more people like this than they do the remake. I can tell you that much. That's probably true. Yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, but I don't. I don't think it's that we're resistant to, to pull back the curtain. I just don't think, bottom line, that there's a good movie here. Right. Wow. Wow. I, I, yeah, I don't feel that, but I, you know what? I will, I will say this. I, I'll give you this, Ron Martin. Um, this reminds me, even though this movie preceded it, but it reminds me in many ways of The Dark Knight Rises. Because when I went to see The Dark Knight Rises, I went to see Batman, right? And I didn't get very much freaking Batman in The Dark Knight Rises, right, Willis? <laughs> and so in this movie, you don't get a lot of Freddy Krueger, and if that's what you're coming to see, I could see where people would be disappointed in that. But at the same time, talking out of both sides of my mouth, as a defender of this film, um, I think that it's permissible in this movie because of the way that it's set up. I mean, they really have to build and carry this story, and it's not. it wouldn't be organic to have Freddy popping out every five seconds. No, I agree. I don't think that you needed to have Freddy um, show up in, in every scene. Um, and uh, when he does, in, in you know, in certain moments, it is effective. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm thinking especially the, um, the the hospital scene. Yes. Which is sort of a takeoff, obviously, on the first movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but, but yeah, I still... As effect- was it nearly as effective as the first movie? No, the first movie, it was... It was it was done better, but still, I liked that. I liked that scene, and I, I, I thought that it, it was a good scene. I did enjoy that scene in this movie, um, but then you know it got a little with the whole the highway scene, and I don't know. I thought that they were setting they were setting him up to be a lot darker, and then I just don't know that that's where it ended up being. Well, yeah. and as Willis uh, mentioned earlier, this is basically a take on Hansel and Gretel as well. Mm-hmm. But I think that they bludgeon you over the head with that instead of sneaking it in there for you to figure out on your own. Like the kids leaving pills, right, instead of breadcrumbs. And then they stuff Freddy Krueger into um, a, a giant like fireplace oven thing. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly um, smart satire. It's the bludgeoning over the head with imagery. Yeah, it's a little heavy handed. And um, I would agree with that. But I still love it. Still, I'm a big apologist for this, even though I haven't said a whole lot about it hitherto. For <laughs> but, but, um, speaking of not said a lot, w- Willis, what else? I mean, I haven't heard a lot from you on this new nightmare. Well, what else can't be said about this movie? It started an idea that 
obviously went over to Scream because you can see a lot of that influence from this movie go over to Scream. And it was just good to see Wes Craven coming back to the creation that he made and got a chance to put a lot of input that he wanted to do. Because actually, this script, he wanted to make part three this movie, but the studio wouldn't let him. So he got a chance to come back, get his money that he deserved from the creation that he made, and got a chance to make his own movie. And it's a pretty decent movie. And I'll watch it anytime I come on the TV. And I see the flaws in it, but I don't mind. I think it's just a love letter to people that love horror and to show that you shouldn't shelter your young ones from stuff that we grew up with in the past, like the original Hansel and Gretel. You don't even see them type of books in the store no more, Harley. Because everything is so PC. And I think that's what Wes Craven was pointing at in this movie. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Anything else, guys, before we move into our ratings and recommendations? Sorry, I'm, I'm running out of steam. No problem. Um, I mean, some of the things I liked, I did like the, the setup. I thought that it, some of the early scenes were building to something, you know, that, 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 that they were building to something. Some of them, I don't think, like I said, went anywhere. Um, but I did like the, the, the basic concept of the movie, you know, the, 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 where, the, where they had taken it. I thought it was pretty clever. Um, and I will agree that in some scenes, Freddy was much darker than, I don't, I'm not going to say much darker than the first few films though, because I thought he was pretty dark in those, uh, in those films. Um, but he was a, a very dark Freddy Krueger, a return to that from what we had gotten before. Uh, and I did like the, the setup of the relationships with the, um, with the co-stars, you know, with Robert England, um, and, and, and visiting, you know, with Robert Shea and, and and that whole setup, um, but I just thought that it, it let a few things go by the wayside, and then ultimately, you know, as some of the as you said, some of the other movies didn't end very strongly. I don't think this one ended as strongly as it could have either. Yeah. Okay. Ron, do you have any final thoughts before we get into our ratings? Yes, as a uh, scream guy, um, I understand the comparisons from this movie. Um, to that movie and some of them are legitimate but i would say that the reason that it worked in scream and i don't think that it worked here was in scream um it it really was uh, a reward for horror fans who had watched all the horror movies with all of its references and uh satire but it was characters who realized they were in a horror movie in this movie they're not characters. They're the actual people. I don't know that that um, plays as well. Huh. And there was no uh, like, you know, this could be uh, a, you know, a letter, uh, a love letter to people who had watched all the Elm Street films. But there's really only references to the one film. And that's the first one, uh, because that's the one that, you know, Lagan Camp was in. And that's the one that uh, Wes Craven wrote and created. So I just think that it's not as similar to Scream as some people, as, as people think. It is mm-hmm. a meta, sure. Is Scream meta? I'm um, sure, but they're meta in two different ways. 
but it is um it 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 had to have been some degree of an inspiration right a precursor a proto oh no doubt no doubt yeah, no yeah. Doubt. okay i have no doubt that um kevin williamson drew inspiration from uh this movie because wes craven's the guy he wanted to direct his movie. yeah okay. right well fair enough that sounds good i mean i think i think we can all agree on that all right well let's let's wrap this baby up too so um guys i actually do kind of love this movie and the only reason i can't i i I think I prefer it to the first one, but I can't rate it higher than the first one. And I'll tell you why, because as was said in this podcast, I believe it was Ron that said it. If the first film didn't exist, this film wouldn't exist. <laughs> right. I mean, you, yeah. ha- you have to have the first one in order to have this. And, um, yeah, if you've not seen the first one, you don't understand this one. Right. Exactly. Right. And so this is in, in a way, this narrative, it, it is a dependent story, it is not independent. So, um, and, and I'm not like taking off any points or anything, but I just can't go higher than the original. So it is, as I rated the original, I gave the first one a seven. I called it a must-see rental at least once because um, <laughs> I'm a big jerk. But for this one, New Nightmare, it's also, I give it a seven, the same number. But you know what? I'm telling people to buy it because I like this movie a lot. Um, this is a movie that, yeah, I mean, like I, I, again, I only saw it the one time when I rented it, right? Cause I didn't see it in theaters. And now that I'm older and I have a crush on Heather Langenkamp at age 30, I'll probably watch this. <laughs> I'll probably actually revisit this, um, you know, every once in a while, like maybe once a year or so. So do you, but do you think, I mean, you said the other one is a strong rental, I said it's a must-see once rental, but for me, I mean, I think most people buy it just because it's a quote-unquote classic. But honestly, that first film, it, it's still kind of hokey. I, I think the we got these nostalgia goggles on, and that made everybody mad when I said that. But like, just, I mean, I sorry, I'm sorry, I made people mad saying that. But you know, I, I actually like this film better i like it more huh what do you say dr shock about new nightmare um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go it's it's an above average one um i guess i liked it a little more than uh number four uh, but not nearly as much as numbers three and one uh you know i'm I was going to go 5.5. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I think I'll give it a 5.5, and I'll say it's a rental. I'd say it's, you know, it's worth seeing. Okay, 5.5 rental. All right, and what about you, Willis Wheeler? What do you say, The Wild Man? Well, I enjoy this movie a lot. I'm giving it an 8. Nice, now you're talking. Is that a buy? Well, like <laughs> I said with the rest of them. <laughs> It's in the set with the rest of them, so you're going to have them regardless. Okay. <laughs> Even though you don't think this is a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Well, it's <laughs> just messing in the you. set. So, All right. there you go. All right. And Ron Martin, what do you say? What's your rating? Willis gave it an eight and said, buy it. What do you say? 
Well, I'm about to bring everybody down uh, because I, I don't think this is the worst film in the franchise. I mean, it, it's better than a couple of the other ones. One, three and four above it. I guess I like four a lot more than everybody else does. But again, I think I, I think I've made uh, my basic points. I think maybe it's too it's too cute uh, for its own goods. Does that make sense? Even like though Wes it's yeah. trying to get. OK, go ahead. Uh-huh. So you're saying that he's trying to get as many. Uh, you, you know, players in there as possible with the Shays uh, and, and the higher ups in, in New Line Cinema. And sometimes it just muddles the storyline. Uh, Legging Camp isn't really the person that I wanted to see fight Freddy Krueger, but that's just my own personal preference. Um, but I would give this like a three and a half and say avoid. Wow. Wow. <laughs> harsh. Harsh. All right. Uh, I think there's three better, at least three better Elm Street films. Uh, there is much better Craven films, uh, and you can see Miko Hughes better than Pet Cemetery. What's What's worse than this one? Just so I know what you think is worse than this movie. Uh, five is pretty terrible. Yes. And I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not a huge fan of two. Uh, in this series, I think two taken out and taking the Freddy Krueger character out would be a much better movie. I don't think. My uh, my theory was that um, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was actually started its life as a different kind of horror film and got smushed into the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Huh. Okay. Yeah, it definitely did. It didn't fit. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Well, um, so that's going to wrap up our review for uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I'm sure we'll hear from the listeners on the comment boards. Make sure you... Um, Can I give you a little bit of trivia about New Nightmare that I just remembered? Yeah, do it. Do it. Let's hear it. Uh, so when when Chase, Heather's uh, husband, uh, dies and they have the funeral, I believe it's his funeral they're all at. Um, in the funeral, in, in, in the crowd, is uh, Nick Corey, who plays Rod in the first film, mm-hmm. and Tuesday Night, who takes over uh, playing Kristen in the fourth film. Mm-hmm. The original idea was to get a bunch of the people from the various films to come in. Uh, but they only got those two because Wes Craven was too um, too shy about asking Johnny Depp to return to the to the franchise and no for a scene or two. He was shy, which seems crazy. Like he was too embarrassed to ask Johnny Depp to come back because Johnny Depp was much bigger than he was when Craven basically discovered him. Right, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about well, well, we just saw Johnny Depp in part six. And maybe that's why, because he felt embarrassed and ashamed that Johnny Depp got subjected to part six. <laughs> well, the the trivia that I, that I learned was that he, he was too, uh, he didn't want to ask him because he was too big of a star. Yeah. And he probably didn't want to get turned down. Right. I mean, because we're, we're all afraid. We're all afraid of uh, getting rejected, aren't we? Well, yeah, I guess so. Sometimes. Even guys like Wes Craven. Yeah. Yep. So there's there's hope for the rest of us, I guess. <laughs> if there but, if there wasn't no uh, fear of rejection, my story uh, with D. Wallace would have ended better. <laughs> uh, and that is a good story. I love it. You guys should listen to the Resurrection of Zombie Seven to hear stories like that one um, with D. Wallace, because because yes, she was she wanted to make love to Ron Martin. That's right. my theory. That's my theory. Right. right. <laughs> like, and Ron Martin thinks he could have hooked it up with her. The problem is, it wasn't in 1983 in the Cujo era. 
it was modern day and she is much older now, right? <laughs> yeah, but you know, who cares? If you have a chance to bang E.T.'s mom, Right. <laughs> well then then why didn't you uh it was, it was a rough period in my life i, I, don't, I don't know for sure that it would have happened oh, okay. she just mentioned that perhaps if she saw me in the bar later that night i could buy her a drink <laughs> yeah right yeah maybe maybe she was um you know just using her her fans to foot her bar tab <laughs> but no ron, ron martin's a very good looking guy and uh, he's got a wife, and uh, so I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised she wanted to hook it up with you. She heard you were the <laughs> she heard you were the host of the Resurrection of Zombie Seven podcast. So. Exactly, she's using me for her own uh, career benefit, given the podcast. All right. Well, everybody out there, listeners, um, we just want to thank Ron Martin and Willis Wheeler for joining us as our special guests tonight. That was especially helpful in Josh's absence. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you guys were here. Ron, tell the listeners um, whatever plugs you have before we run. Okay, you can uh, you can catch me at the Resurrection of Zombie 7 podcast on Zombie7.com where we take horror franchises and we bust them out one movie at a time, an hour to an hour and a half on each movie. Uh, also this month we have going the Zombie 7 Halloween grab bag where we're taking a look at Halloween uh, specials. By the time this podcast comes out, we would have just put out special on uh, Scooby-Doo and the hot and the headless horseman of Halloween uh, also check out zombie7.com for all kinds of Halloween vlogs uh, and stuff and upcoming uh, featuring Jay of the Dead our Halloween a spectacular episode talking about uh, a bunch of things that happen on or around the Halloween season yes real life things so oh, and uh, also Jay you'd be interested in this because you're all you were also involved um, we we just started re-releasing episodes of the Zombie Reckoning podcast. Nice. Yeah. Of which there are only eight, but we just released the first one today because I just found uh, the flash drive that they were saved on. <laughs> cool. As part of our Halloween celebration. And I enjoy those very much. And and, and Doctor Walking Dead Kyle Bishop is also on there in the same capacity. So yes. It's- Jay of the Dead and Dr. Walking Dead provided intermission reviews of zombie movies. That's right. Nice. Do you know why? Because we're dead serious about horror movies. Willis Wheeler, thanks for being here. What plugs do you have for the listeners? The Ted Treat Podcast, the Two Drink Minimum Podcast, and my YouTube page. All right. All right. We'll have all that linked in the show notes. And I appreciate well, then Willis Wheeler reviews. I, I'm a subscriber. Yep, me too. Heck yeah. Cool. And you need to be a subscriber too, Jay. All right, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Called me out right there. <laughs> I think that just about wraps up episode 73 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We'd like to thank once again our special guests, Ron Martin and Wildman Willis Wheeler. We hope that you will check out their shows, show them your appreciation for having them over here on our show. And we love your comments, so make sure you get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes or email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. 
And you're always welcome to leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. Of course, we're on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. You can subscribe free in iTunes and you can find all of our episodes at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. And that includes the weekly Horror Movie Podcast archive and Horror Metropolis archive. At the top of the show, I encourage everybody to check out my uh, friend Mark Nato over at Killer Flicks Horror Movie Review Podcast. Check them out killerflix1.com that'll be linked in the show notes for you as well i also want to take the time to thank fred ingram for the use of his music for the horror movie podcast theme song you can find more of fred's music at frederickingram.com i'll have that linked in the show notes be sure to follow dr shock on twitter at dvd infatuation and by the way make sure you check out his amazing blog dvdinfatuation.com where he reviews a movie a day every single day forever also follow my friend josh legary the wolfman on twitter at icarus arts and you can listen to his podcast over at moviestreamcast.com it's a great show highly recommend it And Kyle Bishop, Dr. Walking Dead, is on Twitter at DRWalkingDead. He has two books out now, American Zombie Gothic, and he has a brand new zombie book as well, which I just received in the mail the other day. I'm excited about that. And as for me, you can check out my sister podcast to this one. It's called Movie Podcast Weekly. We put out a show once a week and we cover new movies that are in theaters and it's all genres. So make sure you check it out. It's um, kind of crazy. And I think that's it for episode 73. We thank you for listening and you can join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>